Talking canon and everything mirrorless with Roger Matchin. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye. And in this episode, I'm going to hand over to Andrew, where he sat down with Roger Matchin, who is the product marketing manager for Canon South Africa. And in it, they talk about canon, mirrorless, and basically everything in between. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Right, guys, so um, the long way to catch up with Roger Matchin from Canon, South Hi, Africa. Yeah. Roger, thanks for coming through. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been shooting for Canon for a long time, and the last couple of years have been very exciting, despite the challenges that COVID have thrown in. Sure, yeah. Um, and I thought it would be a great opportunity just to catch up, share what it is that uh, you're most excited about, and, and kind of chatting about all of the mirrorless advances that have come through in the last couple of years. Indeed, and, and thanks for having us. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. We've had a long, re- long relationship with, uh, with WildEye. And, um, you know, some of your guys shoot other brands, that's fine, it's uh, understandable, but you need to know all the different brands because we're all different customers that come on board. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we, as you say, a lot of change the last years, not just in terms of the world, but uh, in terms of the gear that's now on offer. So, yeah. So, Rog actually just spent the uh, last uh, hour and a half or so just running through some of the advances and the, the developments on the Canon system, just really just upskilling our guides so that whilst we're in the field hosting guests, um, we can speak with authority on some yeah. of the settings and the benefits. And obviously, the question around the move to mirrorless oh, yeah. for so many people has been such a big one. So I think, you know, in that preso, you helped put to bed a lot of those questions and upskill our guys. So yeah. thanks for that. Um, so maybe that's the starting point is, you know, yeah. Canon's move to mirrorless. It's a sure. big move, yeah. but it's not your first big move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> taking us back to the 80s, I guess. Well, absolutely. You know, if, you, if you look at what we did back in uh, 1987 when we moved from manual focus to autofocus, um, it was quite a revolutionary change for us. We, we changed the lens mounts um, from the sort of breech mount FD that we'd had for sort of 50 odd years uh, to a bayonet type. And at the time, the, you know, all, the, all the, the big four brands of the world all had to move to, to autofocus. And uh, Nikon and uh, Pentax kept their bayonet. Minolta and Canon changed their bayonet. And it was perceived by quite a lot of people as, oh my gosh, what are you guys doing? You know, I've got to shelve all of my old lenses and now buy an entirely new system. Um, at the end of the day, it proved to be the best idea because uh, we were able to put the maximum benefit of speed and tracking and all that kind of story into the combination of lens and, uh, and body. And we've done pretty much the same sort of thing with, with mirrorless. You know, the, um, a lot of people sort of focus too heavily on the, the camera itself when we launched the ESR back in 2018. And it was less about the body. It was more about the fact that we launched a lens system. And if you saw the ESR, it was definitely not a pro body. It was kind of like a mid-range body. And there was one amateur lens in the 35 1.8, but three L-series pro lenses. And everybody was like, you know, what's the thinking here? There's three pro lenses and an amateur body or enthusiast body. And we sort of like, remember back in 1987 when we launched our autofocus, the R650 was very much a, an enthusiast body. And again, within that first sort of two year period before the EOS 1 really, really high end pro body came out, um, there was 13 amateur lenses, but 18 pro lenses. So we laid the groundwork for exactly what was to come. And the same thing happened when we did, you know, ESR, next body was the RP. Um, and there was a couple of amateur lenses and there was a whole bunch of pro lenses. We put the Trinity, the, the, the 2.8, 1535, 2470, and 7200 
into the market before the US R5 and the R6 came along. And then all of a sudden, things started making sense. So by the time we had the pro bodies, we already had this, this body of work. What I loved in your presentation, you used a bit of creative license and you threw some terms out there and said, oh my word, what is Canon thinking this yeah. next thing? And it, it was very much a replay of you yeah, know, the move to autofocus in the terms of the move to mirrorless. Although perhaps some might say that back then you were the pioneers, perhaps this time you were maybe a little bit behind the curve. Yeah. And um, you know when that initial launch of the RP and the R came out, I remember you saying like everyone was just so focused on these bodies, they yeah. missed what was happening Indeed. with the glass. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's no secret that um, you know, our competitors moved very aggressively into mirrorless. Um, the, the two mo most, you know, most notable brands are, are Fuji and Sony. Um, both ditched any any attempt at SLR to to focus completely and utterly on on mirrorless, and kudos for them to doing that. They drove that mentality. They drove the mirrorless mindset, and we'd already played with mirrorless in, in the M series um, to compensate for what Olympus had been doing. They launched the pen, and mirrorless was most certainly on the horizon as something we were already thinking. And what's interesting to see when it comes to you know product or camera development. We know internally the, the R5 and the R6 were, were well under development and well already in the planning stages when we announced the SR in 2018. Mm. And, and again, you don't always have to believe me, but have a look at what other people said. And, and one of the best things I ever read was with a guy called Roger Kikala, who, who, who writes blogs for uh, lensrental.com. And um, they did a strip down of the, the RF 50mm 1.2, which was one of the first RF lenses we, we, we produced with the ESR back in 2018. And they took it apart and they put it back together again. And he said, um, all I can say is there's a lot of interesting things in here. There's things we don't know about. There's a, there's a whole bunch of design concepts that have been thrown in here. This isn't a copy paste of an EF lens. This isn't a modification of an existing design. This is something that's been redone from the ground up. This kind of technology hasn't been done in the last two years. Oh. This has taken a long time to develop. And when somebody from a third party company like that does that kind of thing or says that We're kind of thing. We're not going any further than this. <laughs> thank, thank you for, for trying to say what we've been trying to say. Yes, um, our competitors you know, beat us to the punch um, in mirrorless. To, to be fair, um, you know, the, the mirrorless versus DSLR shipments coming out of Japan, according to CEPA, the Canon Camera, Camera Imaging Association, whatever it is, um, they publish on a yearly basis the amount of shipments coming out of Japan, uh, and the ratio back in 2019 was you know 35% mirrorless and 65% DSLR. Yeah. When you consider it's only Canon and Nikon still making DSLR at the time, you know the, the dominant product, the dominant camera that was being shipped was still DSLR. Mm. And um, yes, they you know competitors have given us a bit of a punch, but in the greater scheme of things. Now that the world is changing, it's now almost the other way. Call, mm. call it the end of 2021, I think it was. Was well, that the turning point? I, I think 2020 was probably the turning point when it became 50-50. That was around about the time we launched the R5, the R6. Uh, Nikon did Z6, two, Z7, two. There was a lot of big changes and a lot of people there that now's the time to put the stake in the sand to, yeah. to switch. Um, as of 2021, it's more like sort of 60-40 in terms of 60% uh, mirrorless, 40% yeah. um, DSLR. But there's still a market out there for DSLR, and we'll for still sure. make them as long as people want them. Um, but there, there are there are considerations. So we are trimming the range. You know, if we don't need seven models, we can get away with five. Then five is what we're doing. You know, makes, rather put the investment into. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense.
Um, and you know, something for me, a lot is made of pixel count now, oh, yeah. uh, frame rates, and you know, this animal eye autofocus, all these little um, little trims, if you will, yeah. that come through on a mirrorless system. Sure. But I think there's a number of other benefits that people maybe, you know, for the, the not quite the layman, but the end user who's yeah. really looking past that. And when they get these things into their hands, eventually they're going to be like, wow, I didn't realize I could do this on mirrorless. Sure. What, sure. what are some of those things for you that mirrorless, is, mirrorless technology has opened sure. up? I, I think above and beyond anything else, a, a lot of the, the first sort of movements towards mirrorless were around the side the fact that the cameras were smaller and lighter yeah. and, and to a certain degree they, they most certainly are um they are you know the r3 is substantially smaller and lighter than its um dslr equivalent in the 1dx3 but it's not the be all and end all because the lenses themselves haven't really sort of changed in terms of uh the physical size of dimensions you know they, they are smaller and lighter in some cases mm. but overwhelmingly some of them are absolutely crazy you know the, the rf 1.2 is That's heavier and bigger than yeah. the ef 51.2 because of what it needs um but more than anything else what what mirrorless offers and i think that the radical change has been in my head is in terms of autofocus performance um i've never seen uh, such incredible intuitiveness and when you come from DSLR to mirrorless, that's more than likely the first thing you're going to notice is that, oh, wow, the autofocus is a totally different animal. Instead of having a lock that you're trying to lock onto the subject all yeah. the time, you can now have the freedom to look at composition and know that your autofocus is going to nail it. Yeah. I'm not going to say, you know, well, every single time, you know, you know, um, there's no guarantee of 100%, but um, way more than you ever could. Yeah. And you can talk about things like electronic viewfinder, high-speed frames a second, but the clincher for me, and especially when it comes to wildlife sports action, the, the autofocus is insane. And I've seen that with guests in the field, you know, especially their first time now that we're coming out of COVID, heading out, they've invested in a new system during lockdown and, and now getting out into the field and trying it. Yeah. It's, it's brought an element of fun back. The hit ratio it has gone up significantly. And in the past, guests would have been like, oh, I just missed it. Just it's, missed not, it. it's just not sharp enough. Yeah. Now, the, the, the element of surprise is like, ooh, that's, that's actually bloody yeah. sharp. Um, and apart from the hit rate being increased, like you said, the composition side, you know, so almost that 100% AF coverage across yeah. the frame. So just to put that into perspective for you guys, you know, I love shooting animals in environment. Always used to have to kind of bring your focus point down to that lowest point that you could achieve focus, back button, thumb mm -hmm. off, recompose, take the shot, deal with a bit of distortion and that sort of thing. Yeah. Now you literally move that AF point down into the bottom left-hand corner and it's bang on because of that dual pixel autofocus system. Yeah. So you've or gone from having you 60... look in the bottom left hand corner. Sorry, I have to do it. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's an interesting one. That that's still a, a bit of a conundrum for me. But you know, the hundred percent AF coverage, sure. in body image stabilization. That's a big um, And just even the fact that you can achieve autofocus on something like the eight hundred f eleven, which I'm going to share a link to the blog post that I wrote about that Something lens a couple of years years ago. Um, autofocus at f eleven. Mm, and then beyond. throw in a converter, <laughs> autofocus at f22 in an area that is like, you know, 40% of your frame. It's insane. Yeah. And when you, when you consider DSLR, I mean, uh, even the 1DX3, which was our, our highest level of achievement in, in autofocus performance, and that had the deep learning chip in the Digic X processor. And it was already able to understand the human body shape and prioritize the head, yeah. um, looking at that box with four limbs sticking off it and round thing above it. That was the first idea that deep learning had in terms of prioritizing humans. 
there was a logical extension to then add that to, to animals and to birds, um, which was absolutely astonishing. But the fact that even on the DX3, our greatest achievement, um, F8 was still what was needed to get, to, to get autofocus. Yeah. If you had F11, there was not enough light for the autofocus sensor to, to work at all. And applying that technology to a sensor, you know, where, where the autofocus sensor was a CMOS, it was a small sensor down below, and it was an electronic thing. On the, on the DX3, that, that was around about 150,000 pixels. 150,000 pixels. And it was able to make distinguishing features for human shape at that level. Yeah. We now deliver it 20 to 30 to 40 million pixels. And it, the, the understanding, taking that deep learning chip, is now able to, to then see with far greater detail the human shape. And it's not just somebody standing, somebody riding a bike on a horse, you know, gymnastics upside yeah. down. Um, and animals in their infinite variety. Uh, I must admit, when it doesn't identify the animal, I'm like totally disappointed. <laughs> just I, bear I'm in like, mind what, what you had. Exactly. You know, <laughs> hang on a second. You've know, you got to bear in mind, you know, from, for, it was designed around cats and dogs. Yeah. You know, that was where it started, yeah. which are fairly uniform in terms of shape. But you take a cat or a dog and you compare it to a giraffe or a rhinoceros, uh, you kind of understand, like, hang on a second, you know, yeah. they're all animals. Um, there are times where it doesn't get it. And even, even more so with birds, you know, anything from a little kingfisher, that's that seems like a good idea. Yeah. But then you look at a pelican, you look at a hornbill, uh, or you look at a sunbird. All of a sudden, you have like a multiple amount of shapes and sizes and, and, and heads. And, yeah, how it does it is, to me, the first time I saw it was witchcraft. I, I remember the, the feelings I got when I got <laughs> yeah. that little, that eye locking onto a line in the darkness. But, yeah. you know, when you think about three years back, we'd be talking about cross-type and dual cross-type uh, mm. points and how they are limited in terms of their distribution across the frame. Now, it, it's just, it's worlds apart. Yeah. And you speak about deep learning. It's maybe something to just jump a little bit ahead sure. here is you know, how these things are refined and something that is going to be coming down the line with firmware updates, which oh, yeah. are happening far more regularly. Yeah. The deep learning, the feedback that goes back into the system, which then gets pushed back. Yeah. Um, that's something else that I think mirrorless is going to bring to the party, which DSLRs never really had. In, in, indeed. And, and I think it's, it's a very, very valid point because um, in a lot of cases, when it came to DSLR, 90% of the firmware updates were about uh, correcting glitches or finding little errors and sorting them out. There was only really one firmware update that had a major impact on, on performance, and that was on the uh, 72, I think it was firmware version two, where it added a, a deeper buffer using a better algorithm and it gave better high ISO performance. Um, and that was really the only one that added a lot of functionality. Now with mirrorless, because of so much of it being uh, electronic, and especially the autofocus, that we've seen evolutions in, in autofocus performance uh, being applied backwards as much as we possibly can. Now, bear, yeah. bear in mind, when we launched the ESRP, the human eye autofocus was fantastic. And compared to the ESR, it was so much better. You know, it's a much cheaper camera. And within a month or two, we, have, we applied a firmware update onto the ESR that matched and it was that. a noticeable difference, yeah. Exactly. And then this baby came out with uh, vehicle tracking autofocus, and all the people with the R5s and the R6s were like me too. And... Here we go. You know, you've got that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're right. The, 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 the possibility to add functionality, to improve performance, to um, change things on mirrorless, I, I would say, is another one of those key advantages. And, and so many people get bogged down into, oh, it's not so much smaller. And I was told mirrorless would be lighter and easier. Just 
don't go there. Mm. Just understand that the some of the most critical things uh, and beyond anything else, autofocus number one, yeah. IBIS number two, um, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. But uh, indeed, those firmware updates, I wouldn't underestimate those. They're fantastic. And, and you know, just touching on that point of, uh, you know, I was hoping it was going to be smaller and more compact. You guys have not gotten the micro four thirds. Mm -hmm. Everything is full frame. I'm sure, I'm not sure, but I'm, <laughs> I would imagine things will change on that front in, sure. in time. Yeah. Um, and there will be crop sensor coming through. But it, it really, it again, it's been something that, there's been no compromise made on quality yeah. um, and on what you're going to be delivering. And again, it comes back to that point of we'll yeah. deliver the lenses with some cameras to go with it because we don't want to rush the production of Correct. R5 and R6. Yeah. Um, and maybe just bringing that back into the perfection and the, the standards of what's been introduced into these things is the, the RF lenses compared to the EF lenses. Now, yes. obviously, everything is backwards compatible yeah. in terms of the EF lenses. It's yeah. an adapter ring, which really just essentially gives it that little bit of space. Exactly. Um, there's no gloss, so there's no loss in the image quality. And in fact, in some instances, the, the way that the camera is able to process and correct for things yeah. gives you better results. Yeah. Um, just some of the limitations on the EF lenses with a, a mirrorless body. Um, yeah, just sort of before we go into that very quickly, just to, to mention the fact that when we launched the EOS R um, back in 2018, there was a huge outcry on the internet that essentially all we did was take a 5D4 and put the 5D4 in a smaller body. And wow. it was pretty much the same sensor, it was pretty much the same process, it was pretty much the same engine and construction just in a more compact body. And the same thing was thrown at us on the ESRP, it was exactly the same as the 6D2. And you know, whether Canon did it deliberately or not, or um, I have a sneaking suspicion they did it deliberately, the mindset was essentially if you picked up, picked up a 5D4 with an EF24105, you picked up an R uh, with an RF24105, they were both essentially the same body, same sensor, same processor, same engine, but now you could see the difference between the EF24105 and the RF24105, and you were able to compare like with like, and you could see the dramatic improvement in terms of overall quality, sharpness, etc., on the RF lens, and the same with the, with, with the RP coming along with the 6D2, is exactly the same as 6D2. You had a benchmark that having that same sensor, that same processor gave you an idea that you could sort of see it quite immediately. Now, obviously at the same time, we included the EF adapters. So the EF adapters, there's two or three of them out there, but the most common one, which is the plain one, which is purely a link between camera and lens, as you said, has got no optics in it. And it allows you to move at your pace in, mm. into mirrorless. And th this was the thing that, you know, moving from manual focus to autofocus was quite intense. Mm. That um, you have to change your body all and all your lenses. Yeah. You know, it was it was a big investment. Um, even the move from film to digital was less painful. You know, yes, the cameras were a lot more expensive, but it was EOS and all your EF lenses from photographic work. So there wasn't a saga. But um, moving from uh, DSLR to mirrorless is equally easy now that without adapter. As you say, it is just a spacer. All your EF lenses fit and work. Um, with no real restrictions in terms of autofocus, performance, tracking, etc. The only thing is that um, the older EF lenses, when I say older, anything from sort of 2018 back, weren't designed for the kind of speed that uh, mirrorless produces. The frame rate. Correct. So, so like the, the DX3 came out at 16 frames a second. It could go up to 20 in the electronic mode with the mirror locked up. But um, the autofocus tracking wasn't spectacular at 20 frames a second because the focus motor on the new 400, the new 600 mm lenses at the time 
um, was only designed for about 16, 17 frames a second. I mean, we, we really are talking <laughs> the top end of what for sure. anyone ever wanted yeah. within a DSLR age. Yeah. And that's now the bottom end. Correct. Once we move into this. So, so yeah, and th this is the thing. If you look at the R5 and the R6, which are 20 frames a second electronic, using the EF lenses only gives you about 16, 17 frames a second. Only. Only. Yeah, and again, only. Um, and that's the other thing I found with quite a few people moving over to the R3, because they've bought it on the premise of 30 frames a second. And yes, it does 30 frames a second on RF lenses. So the, the biggest yeah. factor there is going to be, you know, that aperture mechanism opening and closing yeah. that quickly yeah. in an exposure. Well, and, and, and the focus motor, and this is the thing, when we changed the EF400 and the EF600 to the RF400 the RF600, there was a huge accusation on the internet that we're charging people XYZ extra and we've just glued an extender on the back there or the adapter. Adapter, yeah, change and, the back mount. And, and we certainly didn't. You know, we didn't change the optical design. I promise you that. There is no changes there. Um, there was no reason to change the optical design because it worked perfectly. But we had to change the focus motor, we had to change the diaphragm, and we had to change the, the stabilizer. So yes, it wasn't a huge change from five to five and a half stops on the image stabilizer, but the autofocus motor was designed on the EF mount for 16 frames a second, on the RF now designed for 30. And as you said, that diaphragm opening and closing the aperture. I um, want to ask you if it's designed for 30 or if there's more wiggle room in there, but I don't think we should go there just yet. There's, there's nothing to say that it could possibly do more than 30. Exactly. So <laughs> essentially, even at 30, though, you're doubling the capabilities in terms of autofocus and the ability for that aperture mechanism to open yeah. and close as quickly as that, which is, it's mind-blowing to think that this it's, is how far we've come. Yeah. And we're probably still on that exponential curve of what is to come. Yeah. And when you consider, I mean, the, the DX3 was uh, 2018, 2019 sort of time period. Mm. Uh, sorry, 2019? Yeah, 20, end of 2019. It's, I think it's it was, all a blur, yeah. but it was, uh, yeah, yeah. I know the last two years. <laughs> trying, yeah, the end of 2019 was DX3. It's crazy. Which was a, a DSLR, and the internet just went mad. You're like, oh, why is Canon launching a DSLR when the world is mirrorless? Mm. There's still a lot of people who want it. Mm. And there's still a ton of DX3s out there. But, um, and that was another thing where, where people sort of got a bit confused about where the R3 was coming from. Yeah, a lot of people looked at the R3, it was like, Oh, Sony's got an A1 and Nikon's got a Z9 that's higher pixels and higher whatever. And like, okay, that, that's fine. We know that. Uh, we understand what those products are aimed at. Um, this wasn't aimed at beating a Sony or a Nikon. And, and that's something I think a lot of people confuse us uh, as, a, as a brand, as a company. We, we have a tendency to be quite conservative. Mm. Um, but more often than not, we're actually thinking a lot more seriously about existing Canon users than we are existing about uh, or, or looking at what other, other brands are doing. Yeah. So yes, we do take cognizance of the fact that other brands have got XYZ or ABC, but more than anything else, we understood that the kind of person coming from a DX kind of environment, who was used to a big camera, those big LP19 batteries, bright yeah. viewfinder, that DSLR look and feel, that autofocus customization, to go to an R5, was not the same. Mm. Small electronic viewfinders, smaller builds. Even with a grip, it was just a different design and LP6 batteries. It was just no. And the viewfinder, everything was just, yes, the specification was better, but it just felt wrong. We launched the R3 for DX users. Full stop. That was what it was for. You know, whether you're DX123, for you to come over to Marillas, have a body that's got the heft and design and feel of a DX. It's got the same battery as your DX. The viewfinder's monstrous, like a DX. Autofocus customization, like a DX. Yeah. Resolution from 20 to 24 million pixels isn't huge, 
but from 16 to 30 frames a second is magic. Significant, yeah. And for the sports action news reportage photography photographer, they don't need epic pixel count. Yeah, they they need twenty million pixels. They're sending it to a newspaper yeah. halfway around the world in 60, 70 seconds, which is something that's lost online, isn't it? It's, yeah, you know, people tend to overdo the whole pixel count side of things. Yeah, and and sort of rolling back to to the R six versus the R uh, and the R five, you know, everybody was going boss about the fact that we had eight K on the R five. Mm. We're the first people to release eight K on a camera that was that small, that light, and fantastic, and and everyone's like, oh wow, it's eight K, but it overheats and it does this, that, and the other, and we're like. Okay, how often are you guys using 8K? A 20, 20 mm. minute file is 500 gig. Uh, if you try and open a 500 gig file on a computer that's any older than, I don't know, six months, um, you, you, you're basically driving with your handbrake full on. You know, it yeah. really is just, you know, and you're right, the internet of things is what controls a lot of opinions. And if I was going to say to anybody watching this, <laughs> the internet is brilliant because it's full of useful information. Unfortunately, that useful information is hidden in amongst a minefield of completely and utterly useless. Since you mentioned overheating in the R5 and video, yeah. and that was literally mm. just saying, guys, look at what we've got here. And this is a stills camera, which is capable of that. Yeah. Since then, the R5C. Yes. Well, not only did we improve the um, the overheating possibilities uh, on the R5 with firmware updates, yeah. so it, it dramatically improved its performance. And again, it's one of those things where people say, oh, I'm so worried about the R5 overheating. And we kind of go, well, yeah, how often are you shooting 8K for like 20, 30 minutes, you know? Um, oh, no, I don't do 8K, I only do 4K. Well, okay, well, you shouldn't really worry too much about it. Do you shoot 4K 120 or 4K 60 or 4K 30? Oh, no, it's too big, 4K 30 is fine. All right, then you don't really need to worry about it. Yeah. But I, I have had wildlife guys, you know, phoning me saying, "Oh, my camera's giving you this overheat warning, overheat warnings." Okay, where are you? Oh, in the middle of Kalahari. Okay, what's the temperature outside? Oh, it's 42. <laughs> okay, where's the camera? Has it been left switched on? Uh, is it in the shade? In the cool? No, it's in the sun on the seat next to me. You know, being switched on the entire time. You went. You're wondering why it's getting hot. Just putting it out there. You know. Give, give it some thought, you know, yeah. and look, look after these things. And, and I mean, the R5 is, is the biggest victim of it because, you know, 45 million pixels, 20 times a second. It's you, are, you are pushing that processor. Yeah. And an 8K at 30, you are really, as you say, you're you are taxing it. Yeah. And take cognizance of the fact that uh, as good as it is, it's not infallible. And um, yes, R5Cs come along um, as the ultimate hybrid camera. It has got that built-in cooling system. It is designed to give... Um, you know, 8K, 30, and, and carry on running till you know, till your card is full. And that's, again, it's insane. It will also do 8K, 60. If you think 8K, 30 was bad, you know, you're now looking at like 12 minutes on a 500 gig file. Sure. Uh, and and if, when I say the 500 gig, we're talking about the, the size of the card, so I'm going to click the button over here, and the card actually isn't even in there. But <laughs> CF Express 512 gig cards, 20,000 bucks. Yeah. And... It's another one of those things that's you know, hidden in the fine print. You know, when you buy the camera, it's a start. Look at yeah. look at the system. Look at the system you're buying into. It's not just about the body and what the body can do. What are you going to need to get the best out of it? If you need two batteries, do you need a grip? Do you need a new memory card? Do you need an adapter? Do you need a bigger hard drive? Do you need yeah. this? When you look at that entire system holistically, 
um, a lot of things may start making a lot more sense. And so maybe this is the perfect time to, you know, for someone who's thinking R3, R5, R6, exactly what you've said now, um, you know, should you be looking at the R5 or the R6, maybe you've got to that point. Yeah. Um, like you said, the R5, the, the actual purchase of the body itself is the starting point. Then it's sure. the memory card, then it's the, the um, Bigger hard card drive. reader and the hard drive. And this is, I've seen this with guests who've, you know, come across perhaps uh, from a, a 5D3 or mm -hmm. even from another system and are now shooting raw files at 45 megapixels. Yeah. Um, and then love the idea of electronic shutter mode. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, shit, my card's full. Yeah. Um, how do I move beyond this? And so, again, I, I love it because it plays into my theory of editing starts here with the trigger finger. So sure. what is it? And do you need to take the photograph? When do you use electronic shutter? But mm. for someone thinking R5, R6, R3, there's a initially, like you say, that initial spend to get yourself set up on sure. either the R5 or the R3 is significant. Yeah. And, and again, it, it, again, go back to the sort of logic. And this is one of the reasons why I try and do these things um, in a lot of cases, because a lot of people make the decision based on a video they've seen on the internet. And they'll go into a camera store and the guy in the camera store has seen the same video and they're just perpetuating the same stupidity. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the truth. It's quite a simple mentality. If, you've, if you if you know, one, yes, 1D, 1D4, 1DX is your, your, your kind of camera that you've been used to for ages, EOS R3 is the no-brainer. It's the logical extension. If you've been shooting with um, you know, 5D3, 5D2, 5D4, R5 is a logical extension because it gives you that benefit of uh, resolution, speed, full frame. Um, the, it's, it's a complete Swiss Army knife of cameras. You can, yeah. do, you can do absolutely anything with an R5. Yeah. If it's less critical to have 8K, if you don't need 45 million pixels, if you want to go into mirrorless, you still want the benefit of speed, you still want that tracking autofocus, you're not printing poster size. If the majority of what you're doing is, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and, you know, even up to A3 prints, um, even bigger than A3 in some cases, yeah. you know, the R6 of 20 million pixels is absolutely astonishing. Phenomenal. It's in a really, really incredible camera. And somebody coming up from a, like a 72 or a 90D kind of environment, going into the full frame, R6 is, cool. is, a, is a lot of camera for the it money. Is, yeah. And um, the performance is, is pretty spectacular, not only in terms of high ISO, uh, frames per second, uh, et cetera. And yet there isn't a huge change in resolution. And for the majority of people, 20 million pixels in, is, is enough. And yeah. I mean, I, I've seen A2 prints out of the SR3 at 24 million, and that's A2. Mm. And I, I, I don't know of many people who print bigger than A2. And if you're okay with 24 million up to A2, you know, you, so many people are obsessed with numbers and, yeah. and you really don't need to get obsessed with numbers. The R6 with two SD cards, um, you know, better high ISO performance on the R5 because the smaller, you know, the lower pixel count um, is, is a lot easier to move into. Sorry, did I say, hang on, yeah. R6, great, great investment. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, very good general purpose, easy to move into mirrorless type of environment. I think the one thing that stands out with that recommendation there as well is, is you know, the 5D4, 5D3 mm -hmm. for wildlife photography, they were always good, but you know, the, they didn't quite have the frame rate. Now, mm -hmm. like like you said, the, the R5 as a Swiss army knife, it's got the frame rate that you need for yeah. wildlife photography. It's got the autofocus capabilities. It literally is the Swiss army knife. And, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think for any anyone who's either got two R5s and dedicates their time to 
wildlife photography, yeah. get yourself some extra external hard drives, yeah. number one. But um, for someone who's already got an R5 and is contemplating now having a second body, because I think that's what a lot of people did, was they, they bought one body, mm. uh, mirrorless, and now and still have a DSLR, and are probably now getting to that point where they're like, well, this is the way to go. Sure. To complement that either with another R5, an R6, if you're comfortable in that bracket, yeah. or with the R3. Yeah. I mean, it's you've got everything covered. Absolutely, and I, I will. I will warn you if you're going from the R five environment to go to the R three, it, it is a considerable yeah. learning curve. Yeah. Uh, make no mistake, it is a lot, a, more, lot of, a lot more manual. A lot uh, of customization yeah. in terms of being able to, yeah, customize your dials, the sensitivity, yeah. and I, I literally I was saying to Roger, I sat with a guest yesterday. You know who you are. <laughs> um, spending an hour just making that shift from a five D three, sure to an R3, yeah. Um, you know, there's just so much to unpack. But again, you, you kind of bought the Rolls Royce. And it, what's exciting for me for that particular guest is that yeah. there's so much room to grow yeah. and to customize and eventually just make that camera an extension of your body, which sure. is ultimately what you want. Yeah. As a that, that's quite, quite a giant leap. And it's one it's of those massive. things that I kind of think, why? You know? Well, there's, there's, uh, both of them have three in the, in the yeah. title. Sure. Well, the, more, the more logical move with the, the, the 5D3 would have been to go straight to the EOS R mm. because that was the same move that, that people did from the 5D3 to the 5D4 um, in that it went from 20 to 30 million pixels from like four frames a second to closer to six. Yeah. Um, it had better video, better capabilities. That, that mentality, 5D3 to R3 is, is, is a giant leap and in Massive. a very strange direction. So an R or an R6 or an R5 would have been a far more logical extension. And, it, and again, it, it, it's weird, and it goes back to, you know, what have they done and what have they they've read or they've heard something on the internet. I, I'm not complaining. Thanks for buying the most expensive <laughs> camera we've got. But um, it, it's one of those things that I find nine times out of ten customers who've bought the wrong camera. Um, and it works even worse in, in printers when people buy the wrong printer. printer yeah. They're like, oh, why is the ink so expensive? It's like you're using an office printer to do photos or vice versa. Mm. Um, get... Do, do your research and, 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 and don't just believe what you see, the first things you see on the internet. There's a lot of good stuff out there, unfortunately, hidden. <laughs> I, I think for a lot of people, the, the decision ultimately comes to trying to future-proof themselves in a, in a world where it's changing so quickly. Yeah. Um, and maybe this is the, the point is, you know, mirrorless is the future. Sure. I mean, it's been said for some time now. Canon's obviously uh, made a very bold statement, and you mentioned earlier, for a fairly conservative company in the past, there's some crazy stuff coming out there. Yeah. You've mentioned it a couple of times that you know you the the engineers and the technicians have just been given a little bit of free reign to go yeah. and see what they can create and what they can do now with this new bayonet and mount. Um, and within uh, obviously within your kind of realms of constraint in terms of confidentiality and stuff, yeah. you know, it must be quite an exciting phase to see Canon in this space. Yeah. Pushing the limits and to, to be honest, I, I, I must admit, I, I, I'm continually surprised by the new technology they come up with, uh, especially when it comes to the RF lenses. You know, the, the EF lens mount, um, after being in the industry for sort of 32 odd years, it kind of re reached a, a, a sort of design limitation or a threshold as far as technology was concerned. We couldn't do too much more other than sort of make them slightly smaller and slightly lighter. Um, there was no real big innovations um, since the 2015, I think the 11 to 24 was the most creative lens that we made in the last seven years uh, in the EF mount. And it was quite an astonishing achievement, make no mistake, probably 
again, to, to quote LensRentals.com, the, the, the most over-engineered lens ever made. Um, again, I've seen the inside of that thing and I agree wholeheartedly. But um, when it came to RF mounts, our engineers were just given a, exactly that pre-reign. We had the adapter. So all of the EF lenses that have been out for the last 35 years, and there's 150 million of them. Trust me, we've made 150 million lenses. And it's, it's quite an astonishing achievement when you start considering that if we put them all on the ground end to end, it'd be about 13,000 kilometers long from like Amsterdam to Rio. If you think of that line of lenses, that's the amount that we put it's in insane. the secondhand market. It's made life also quite interesting for people who are, say, a little bit more affluent to make the move to mirrors kind of quickly. But for youngsters coming into the photographic environment who, who don't necessarily have to go mirrorless, the secondhand value of DSLRs is very, very good. But more importantly, the, the guys moving from EF to RF um, is putting a lot of RF lenses, EF lenses yeah. in the market. And that makes it very, very, very lucrative for youngsters coming into it. And um, especially in uh, like the third world, uh, so the African context where, you know, there's, there's a lot of people coming out of the environment. You know, what, what we're doing, like in Canon Collective, what Mike Kendrick's doing with Wild Shots, et cetera, people from an environment where they, there wasn't a propensity for them to pursue a career in photography. Um, it was just, this is, your, you know, your choices in life were kind of limited. Photography is now something that um, is a lot more achievable than ever before. Yeah. And um, sort of rolling back to what you're saying, again, you know, that, that lens technology and that RF mount, um, we've already got 26 lenses, uh, which is not bad for, for the last four years. Yeah. Our CEO famously uh, got up on, on stage about a week and a half ago and mentioned the fact that we have um, 32 more in the next four years. So uh, eight new lenses, eight new lenses a year for the next four years, bringing us to, to a good sort of 60-odd lenses. Um, in an eight-year period, that's quite an astonishing yeah. achievement. Um, and yeah, so the, and, as, and again, don't forget your EF lenses fit and work. So you know, uh, but buy what Good. you need. Um, and I, I work with a lot of pro photographers, and um, so many of them are chasing the latest tech and chasing the latest tech. And I have to say to them sometimes, like just ease off. You know, before you go out and buy the macro lens, before you go out and buy that fisheye, before you go out and buy that whatever. How big a difference to your photography is it going to make, mm. number one? Number two, is it going to pay for itself? Are you going to get new work, new opportunities, new business that are going to pay for it long term? Um, as much as we want people moving to mirrorless, you aren't going to move to mirrorless. You have to move to mirrorless. Do it at your pace. Don't just do it because the guy next to me has got it and I have to be, be the same. Yeah. Go to the bodies first and see what that autofocus does with your lenses then move to the RF lenses and see what I've been talking about all along. And the brilliance is Canon's done some radical stuff. So it's not only about the stupid 800mm 5.6 and 1200mm f8. Yes, that's a 400 odd thousand round lens. We also have the smallest, lightest, cheapest 800 on the market, yeah. the 800mm f11, which for people getting to birding, that's a great focal lens. You want 800mm at the very, very least. And for under 20,000 rand, that was not something that he was never, even achieved, never, achievable. Yeah. yeah. And um, you know, there's a 600 mil F11 as well, which is under 12,000 Rand, which is again, a 600 mil for that kind of price point was just yeah. not possible. And even if you just put it onto an ESR or an RP now and put it onto an R6 or R5 later, that's fine because you're gonna get the benefits of some crazy designs. And I love the fact that our engineers have done like both ends of the scale, some, some really good cheapies, the, 50mm 1.8, the 35 1.8, the 85 f2, 
But we've also done the crazy. So 2870 F2, 85, 1.2, yeah. 1200 mil, you know, <laughs> 1200 mil. That's a beast. Now that's, it's, it's a crazy space to be in. And like I said earlier, I think we're very much on that exponential curve. So if, if you've been excited by what you've already seen, yeah. I think there's definitely space to be even more excited by what's to come. And sure. like you said, a lot of EF glass becoming available at good prices. Good yeah. glass is always good glass. Yeah. Um, I've said to a couple of guests who have, you know, 300 mil 2.8s, hold on to that. It's a great piece of glass. Sure. It always will be. And yeah. you know, it works so well on these Marilla's bodies. Exactly. Um, Rog, bring this into land. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I know we've always had a very good working relationship. What Indeed. I've appreciated, appreciated about working with Roger and Canon is that there's very little in terms of expectations. It's never a case of, well, I'll loan this to you. And if you say this and if you give us this, that and the next yeah. thing. And um, I think that speaks volumes for you as an individual, but also from your company. And sure. um, you've, you've mentioned once or twice this concept of Kiyose, and I think yeah. that's very much about the relationship that we have. Do you want it to just land this whole thing by expanding well, okay, on that yeah, yeah. Um, Well, Kiyose is Canon's core philosophy, and it's, um, it's known by pretty much every single one of our employees around the world. Uh, and when people sort of kind of start thinking of how big Canon is as a company, you kind of really don't actually know. Um, we, we've got uh, around about 250 companies in about 180 odd countries, and we're currently just over 200,000 employees. So it, it's, it's, it's a fairly big corporation. And um, Kiyose is one of the philosophies that we have at the very, very core, and every single one of our employees works on that same mentality. Um, it's called uh, working in harmony uh, with people and with nature for the common good. Uh, and we work on that sort of mentality, and we all have that internal mentality that Kiyose is how we work on things. And like you know, our relationship with with Wildeye, with you in particular, Andrew, is, is is very much that same sort of mentality. We're working in harmony. We're working in things, you know, for the for the common good. You know, it's, it it's, it makes sense for us to, you know, you want to loan the equipment because you need to know about it because your customers are coming along on on trips with those those cameras. Um, for me to put it in your hands is quite easy, you know, relatively speaking, you know, not everybody, but, you know, quite, you know, a couple of people, it, it's, it's worth our while and it is possible to do so. And you can go out and get some sort of look and feel and, and you know, some of the things you come back to me, you go like, oh, I love this lens, but it doesn't do that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know about that. Don't mention it. Or, yeah, we're working on a fix for it. it it's, a, it's a mutual relationship from that point of view. But it's also, more importantly, it's authentic and it's credible. When we talk to our audience and your audience, it's not like, you know, a paid for promotion by Andrew Beck, you know, registered trademark, copyright, you know, it's, um, it, it's a partnership and, it, and it's something that we just, we just go and we just do. And it's, it's, there's no, I'm not in the free camera business, make no mistake. I mean, I haven't given you any free cameras, mm. but you know, if you've got a special shoot and you need something and it's short notice, I'll pull out the stops to make sure you've got something. Yeah. But if I need an image for an advert um, on Tuesday and I need to go to proof today and I phone you and every single time, it's been no saga. Yeah. And that, that, that's how things should work. Um, and I, I love the fact that my company has that mentality. Um, and long may it last. And, yeah. and thank you for, for everything you guys do. No, absolute stuff. pleasure. And speaking of giving free, thank you so much for how many years have you been in this game? Uh, a one, yeah. I've been with Canon since uh, since '96, so twenty five odd years, twenty six odd years, and a passionate photographer even oh, yeah. before then. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. thank you so much for freely giving your knowledge and sharing that with everybody, guys. Um, obviously, you get to monitor comments and questions that come through on this channel. If there's anything specific for Roger. Um, I'll reach out to him and get his input cool. as well. But Rog, thank you very much for your time. I hope you guys have enjoyed it and you found some value out of this. 
Yeah. Thanks for hosting us, and we'll see you again sometime soon. Soon. Cheers. Talk about that. <laughs> <laughs>